Welcome to Across the Margin Podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields. Those soundscapes, the music that ushered us in, still surrounds us here, is the first track from an album released this week by American composer, percussionist, visual artist, educator, and record producer Billy Martin. That record, entitled Guilty, will lie at the heart of this episode, as will the diverse art and talents of Martin. Most known as the drummer of the remarkable musical trio Modesky, Martin, and Wood, and also as the percussionist of the Lounge Lizards, Martin has personally awed me with his freakish percussive talents for decades. And so, it's no surprise Guilty is a funky, thick, and fascinating ride one Martin leaned into with all he had. This album, co-produced by Rob Reinford, a.k.a. Night Marcher, finds him playing his own bass riffs for the first time and features an incredible cast of musicians such as Mark Rubeau, John Modesky, Alexandria Smith, and Jen Liu. Before we bring in Billy, who is on the program today fortuitously, let's rock another taste of the album real quick. Here's a sample of a track called Hair Braid. Dope, just one of the many outstanding songs on Guilty. And while this release is no doubt the focus of this conversation, Billy and I also talked about his important work with the Creative Music Studio. We talked about the crafting of the video for the song Geek Love, which is off Guilty, which he directed. We discussed growing up in the music scene in uh, 1980s in uh, New York City and a whole lot more. Once we connected, we just got right into it. So you'll join in the conversation midstream where we're talking about Spike Lee films and we just go from there. But definitely head to bandcamp.com and download a copy of Guilty. Check out creativemusic.org to learn more about the Creative Music Studio and definitely follow Billy on Instagram at illybeats. That's at I-L-L-Y-B-E-A-T-S. Tons of goodness there. After Billy and I talk, I'm going to share a trailer for a new Osiris Media podcast, of which we are a proud member of, called Past, Present, Future Live. It's a weekly show that tells the story of an artist's musical journey in four parts and ends with a live performance. It's awesome. Check that out. But now, it's a thrill to present an interview with one of my favorite musicians doing it, Billy Martin. Cross 
a picture of some awesome. of them that I have. And awesome. you can, we can, because, you know, at this stage, I mean, of course I need to kind of make a little money, but, uh, but I've been really, all the artwork I've sold in the past month and a half mm-hmm. has been gone toward, you know, raised you know, maybe four, four grand or something. So it feels good, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, this so album. I would, I kind of put that in a, in a pool and I sort of like split it up and I sort of, you know, sometimes, and, uh, and so that's how it's been going. Nice. Yeah. This album that we're about to dig into right here, this was kickstarted, right? I kickstarted it. Yeah. Awesome, man. I love that. That, that just means, you know, the yeah. fans and everyone's behind it. It feels like you're a part of it. That's so cool. Yeah. That, that was really, that, this, this is sort of collective kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, it started with me posting like the fact that I was coming up with bass lines and kind of actually like looping these things with a pedal and kind mm-hmm. of like, because I'm not like someone who could just play a tune on the bass uh, and know what notes I'm playing, but yeah. it's more of like this intuitive self-taught kind of way, sort of this garage punk way. So it started with buying a bass because I just needed a, I needed another instrument to sort of help me with some composing for film and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. It just brings different things out of me. And then that led to me kind of like playing around with a pedal and then like just finding a riff. And then that riff, I would just play it through the amp speaker and then I would play drums along with it. And I was like, Whoa, this is kind of like, has something going on here. And then I would post some things Mm -hmm. that I thought were cool. And then that would be like, get, you know, this people would be like really responsive to it in a way that was like, I felt like I was, sharing you know these things in the moment and it just kind of led to like i had posted maybe 20 of them 30 of them you know over time sometimes it's just a beat you know but other times it's in the bass with the beat and that grew into a collection where i was like okay this is like you know i've got to start building this stuff and then that, and it kind of along the way everybody was there with me who followed me you know, mm-hmm. instagram and that led to well i'm just going to do a kickstarter but i also had a a friend in Japan who collects my artwork, Kanichi Nagatomo, mm-hmm. who has kind of helped me raise, he's kind of uh, funded, uh, start, helped me start funding some record projects in the past. The last one, the only one was uh, Meshes last year, which is with an orchestra, mm-hmm. small orchestra that I put together. And he, and then he, then I have this like original artwork and the graphic scores that I did that the orchestra read and I conducted through and then he ends up getting the artwork, you know? And so like, he loves that kind of process of like, Hey, you know, like let me know when you have some artwork that's going to go on your next Mm -hmm. record or kind of like that. So this was sort of like, Hey, do you have another project? What's going on? And I said, I'm doing this thing with bass. Like I could use some help. It started with him and then it went to Kickstarter and there's nothing more exciting than like having a Kickstarter where I'm sharing this idea with people and they get behind it. So the whole thing is really like a narrative in a sense, you know, uh, getting here. And that's what the record, if you look in the record, if you open it up or you, you know, you'll see like all these photographs and basically those are just snapshots of Instagram posts that I made when I was like sitting playing bass, sitting playing the drums and hashtags like Illy underscore B underscore eats or Illy mm-hmm. underscore B underscore app. B, base, B, Illy B app, Illy base. So you're mentioning it's kind of like a collective. Um, 
Uh, I, and I said, I, I saw where this kind of came to life too, where a friend of yours, I think his name's Rob um, Reinfurt, saw your post yeah. and, and he hit you up and he, he, co- he co-produces, right? So he's involved as well. Yeah. Yeah. He asked if he could, you know, have a shot in like, you know, working on a couple of these things. And, uh, and I gave him a few, a few things, a couple of things. And then I liked what he did with something. And then we sort of, I, then I decided you're the man, let's do this. And I was busy with, as I always am with a lot of other things. So I was like, yeah, it's nice to hand it over to someone and just see what, what I did, what that turns into Mm -hmm. when he sends it back. And that, that kind of, um, back and forth experience. He's, he lives in Utah and he has his own setup there. So it's really easy to kind of just share these files and then he adds something, changes the form around. I'll ask him to change the around. I may not like something. I may like something, you know, it's all, it's just back and we go back and forth and he's done it. He did a great job and I couldn't have done it without him because it's what it is because of him and, and I and our chemistry and also the guest. And he's, yeah, he's, Sweet, really sweet guy. I've known him for a couple of decades as a big fan. And then, uh, you know, he kind of, we worked together a little bit. I think he kind of worked with Vanessa Martwood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, but he, you know, basically, uh, yeah, like was inspired by Vanessa Martwood. So this is sort of like coming full circle. That's you awesome. Know? You're, um, there's, there's, this is amazing. You play in the bass on this. And I love that you described how, how you play bass, but I mean, it's such a driving force in the album on, you know, Home Beat Home, um, Exporto, um, Th- Thieves is awesome. That's kind of reminds me of like a tortoise track, but uh, that's, uh, that's how long have you been playing bass? Is, is this something you've... Two years. Uh, two years? Okay. Two years, and like playing, meaning like I pick it up every once in a while, yeah. and I, it's like anything that I do, it's sort of like a creative process. With piano, I have piano in here, mm-hmm. my drum, percussion, and, and, a little keep little Casio, whatever, you know, and it's just like I have these moments where something happens, you know, and I really more and more things just kind of manifest themselves, you know, I have this new, I'm in this like space in my backyard that's kind of big enough to kind of have things spread around mm-hmm. and record things in the moment. Yeah. And so the bass is just added two years ago, I, I bought a bass the guitar center it was a Hoffner knockoff it's a Hoffner actually but it's like made in China or something mm-hmm. and it's like it's what Chris Wood used I always loved Chris used the Fender and he had a couple of them but his Hoffner I always loved because of the sound mm-hmm. uh, like he would, didn't even have to have it plugged in you could hear the tone but of course when he had it plugged and played with us with me it was always inspiring and I always like wow. loved hearing it and looking at it and I eventually had to have one myself and it was only 350 bucks. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I am, I love this instrument. Yeah. I love it. That's I a- love the bass. <laughs> and I love, I mean, I love it shows, man. Just, yeah. Going anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. It's not like a traditional, I'm a traditional bass player. It's just yeah. like I'm a musician. I'm a composer. Yeah. I'm like, you know, and I have some rhythm Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I could, I could keep it going for a little while. Yep. And, no, absolutely. So. Um, I want to know why is it called guilty? Well, it's, it, see is you know it's kind of i whenever i title something it's always uh it, I, my favorite title uh and often what i usually like to go for is like when it makes someone kind of have a relationship with it and they mm-hmm. kind of like you know they kind of uh it manifests itself again within the whoever thinks about it initially i would say like i've always had issues with feelings um you know growing up whether it was like 
growing up in New York City, like anybody who really grows up in New York City, at least when I did, was like, there's always like a lot of Jewish culture. And like my dad, part of my dad's side Jewish, my mom's side Catholic. Mm -hmm. And there's Catholic guilt, there's Jewish guilt, there's whatever guilt, you know, like. I think that's always been kind of a little bit of a, of a struggle I've had with guilty feelings about things I shouldn't feel guilty about. Other times, maybe it's what guides me into doing the right thing. Yeah. But I also think there's guilty, there's guilt all over. Uh, people are guilty of so many things. We're also guilty of pleasure, you know, guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a wide open discussion. It's not, uh, or, or not, you know, it's like, I don't care what anybody thinks about it like they don't have to deal with it mm-hmm. or they can they can think about it but for me it's just throwing the word out there and just kind of letting it letting it have a relationship with people and let them think about it what it means to them yeah let them do do with it what they will that's cool um yeah. so there's um there's a couple tracks kind of in the middle that um are um thinking of geek love and um on Tech at Sky, kind of, a, you know, a little darker and, and foreboding. It kind of adds this nice ebb and flow. But um, I noticed for, uh, I watched today, Geek Love has um, uh, a video, and that's uh, directed by yeah. you. I was, I was, that's, it's really, really intense and, and wild, and I was kind of wondering if you could speak on a little bit, kind of the premise or any of the themes that you were visually presenting there. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as the music, there again, it's like whatever you hear and whatever you visualize mm-hmm. is more important to me than what I what I visualize. Okay. But, but for the video, the way that came out, I mean, initially, what I wanted to do, I, I as soon as John played, well, I already, I already, there was sort of like there's certain kind of can be sort of like a darkness or ominous kind of feeling to some of the stuff, and for me, that's what I love about some of my favorite songwriters, whether it's PJ mm-hmm. Harvey or it's like, you know, uh, Elliot Smith or it's, you know, Tom Waits mm-hmm. or whatever, like as songwriters. And I'm not a big songwriter person, but like there are certain, and, and, and instrumental stuff, you know, it could be. And when there's like a sort of a darkness mixed with lightness, sort of, you know, it's to me, that's a beautiful thing because that's okay. really, you know, that's really, you can kind of, you can listen to this music and you can have a good feeling and you could feel a little sense of darkness, but like, it doesn't have to be a terrible thing. So I like that kind of in between worlds and, you know, just like the blues, you know, the blues ultimately is like, it's beautiful and it's sad, you know, the mm-hmm. sadness of, you know, there's a word in, you know, the Brazilian word, triste, you know, it's like, it's sad, but it's a beautiful sadness and it's just life. Life is, can be heartbreaking, but beautiful. So, that's basically ultimately how I hear things in this music. Um, for Geek Love, I definitely started to have this feeling. I read a book called Geek Love, which I think is a fantastic book. And it's about this carnival family that uh, goes around. And they're basically all kind of have some kind of anatomical or some kind of thing about them that's a freaky kind of thing. And then later we learn that like, the parents like who run the whole thing they're they're like gypsies in the circus in this carnival they they do something that uh that kind of like it's really dark but they basically like it's like basically they get pregnant and they do something to kind of like to uh create some kind of like medical anomaly kind of mm-hmm. situation so one of their kids grows a fin and then he's aqua boy kind of thing uh, and so like my feeling was this like it's very strange weird kind of like world 
So when I started listening to Geek Love, I started having a relationship with Geek Love. And then when John played the organ part on it, it all came together in my head as I visualized this is a this I visualized this video of someone having a relationship with some kind of aquatic creature. Yeah, the jellyfish. And that's where it started. Yeah. So that was the the, the nucleus of like my idea. How am I going to do this? Are we going to see this thing? Is it going to be sort of like a B movie? Is it going to mm. be you know like uh, a ghost story? Is it going to be a mystery? Is it going to be Beauty and the Beast? Is it going to be Creature from the Black Lagoon? Those references I can make, but mm. really, what again? I'm always going to go back to this. It manifests itself. So I have this idea. I basically sketch it out. I write it out. I type it out. And I'm literally on an old typewriter, mm. and I send it to a group of people, and I ask them to kind of like if they could shoot film themselves, this is during the, you know, the pandemic, yeah. like the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. I basically just asked some amateur actors and some other people, actors, real actors and non-actors to just kind of, if they would film themselves like, you know, uh, with a light and various things, you know, I wanted expressions in their faces. So it ended up like, I get quite a few things in, but I really love this one where Erica, she's like the first person you see her face like she did a really great job just you know uh and that kind of like helped me and then i and then i ended up using my son and my wife and then this dancer that i discovered on on instagram she was like posted something about modesto martin wood playing bass along with it and so i had to she tagged me and so i was like who is this and and uh i started to see her other feeds were like this dancing and so I hit her up. I just asked her, would you be interested in like filming yourself dancing? Cause she's already was doing it. Like I could have used something she already did. And she was like really into it. And she ended up doing a great job. And then I just used other footage, uh, you know, that I had laying around the jellyfish I've had for a long time that I shot at long beach, the long beach aquarium in California. And I just really experimented with a lot of different things. And that's what I came up with. I mean, and so it's like, there's, there's no real, necessarily no real narrative, but ultimately it, it ended up being sort of this, I started looking into the Medusa mythology that sort of like, and kind of tied that in, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so, because my wife was kind of like, she wanted to kind of have a little bit more of a, a narrative sort of idea of what was going on. I started showing her the cuts and I was like, I really don't know. I don't know. It's about this relationship with, with, with some mysterious thing, yeah. an obsession, you know? And then I, then I, I don't know how or why I got, I think it was because I, I found my jellyfish footage and I started thinking about the, what some fish, jellyfish are called medusas. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking up, that whole, you know, the different interpretations of Medusa and, uh, and, and all the other relationships of, you know, Athena, like Poseidon raped, uh, Medusa in the temple of Athena. Well, that's what some, you know, and it also represents female rage in the Me Too mm-hmm. movement. I read something about that. I thought that was very interesting. And Medusa represented that. And I thought these are really interesting kind of symbolic kind of things that I thought would be very interesting to think about, you know, but ultimately that's not what it's ultimately for me. It's about just creating a piece of work that people can determine what, what their relationship is, what the story is to me, any art, any, any artwork that's truly, you know, has its own kind of, um, 
own thing that stands alone singular is going to resonate with each individual in a different way. And I think that's what makes great art. So I'm always striving for that kind of thing where like, you know, they can kind of come up with their own story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope that makes sense. No, it I, does. I realize I, you're, I, yeah, okay. no, I, no, cause I love hearing kind of what you're with thinking, but also at the same yeah. time, I, d- I definitely understand that aim to allow the, kind of the viewer or whoever's taken in the art to, to, you know, take it to their own place and do with it what they will. And it is, it's, I, I like how, you know, you were describing it is dark, it's moody, moody, but it's also beautiful. And I, I'm also with that. I love when those spaces kind of combine. It's, I listen to some pretty depressing stuff and it actually doesn't make me feel that dark. It makes me feel good sometimes, which is kind of wild, but it's true. Um, so we've kind of gone pretty far here without talking about some of the, um, contributions yeah. on the album you got some incredible uh, artists on here we mentioned john modesky but mark is on a bunch of tracks uh alexandria smith uh jen lu and others um can you speak on that for a little bit some some great uh, great players on here i know it is <laughs> great yeah so rob rob initially was you know my bass the drums i played a little of the piano and mm-hmm. some things i actually played vibes on uh steve's you know, I kind of arranged that a little bit more with piano and vibe in the very end. Mm-hmm. As, but Rob had really had really created a form and like added some counter melodies and things like that. And so it was really me and Rob at the beginning. And like, I think he, he had one other guy play guitar. I didn't even know until later. He told me, oh, yeah, this one guy, because I was like, give me the credit. Played on something. Other than that, it was just me and Rob. And then there was a certain point where I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I got in touch with Bill Frizzell. I got in touch with, uh, and Mark Rebeau. And, um, Frizzell was like really busy touring and he was like out on the road, like hitting it hard as usual. And he was like, I'm That's getting enough, back. And, right? yeah, you know, he was like, I'm getting back in March or May, April. He mm-hmm. said, I don't know. I want to do it, but I don't know. And, you know, he's very, you know, like he probably overextends himself a lot. So I was like, That's fine. Cool. I'm just going to, talked to Rebo and then I like I got in touch with Rebo and and uh he was down we had done something we had we have collaborated a couple different times and um so it was like I knew he had a setup where he would just get a guy to record him in his, at his apartment mm-hmm. and that really worked out really well on another record I produced called uh uh The Road to Jujuka mm-hmm. and uh so so anyway, he was down and I was like, you know, I had like three tunes and then it ended up being five tunes. So I was like, I sent him five. I wanted three, but I sent him five just for the hell of it. And he ended up just doing all that. And I, and I paid him some money cause I raised, you know, I did raise money. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. yeah, then, he's, on, uh, he's on five tracks, right? Yeah. That, yep. He's on five tracks. Yep. And like, yeah, I couldn't, you know, I, I was like blown away and he really gave me a lot to work with. So some of it was like, I had to go through like eight, almost eight different guitar tracks, you know, like for one tune and like all of them had something incredible. He's incredible, you know? So, so, uh, some things were like, that's the take. That's what I love when I'm just like, that take is good. We don't have to like edit. And then other ones like hair braid was like, I had to really, really work on that one and not just him, but it was also my drumming, like the way I was playing the drums on the original reference track he played on but then my reference track was like kind of wanky and some of his stuff was wanky and he was just like do whatever you need to do with my parts you know move them around that's and I, that's that's I love that spirit you know so yeah, I was just like so spirit. I basically just kind of did I made like three different drum tracks and didn't like them and then I finally in the very very end I almost 
almost just trashed the whole track. I, I ended up finding it. And, uh, yeah, it might and, be my favorite. I'm, I'm a huge yeah. Hairbraid fan. That one and Home, yeah. um, Home uh, Beat Home, I keep going back to. Is that um, the horn uh, on Home Beat Home? Is that trumpet Alexandria uh, Smith? Yeah, and That's Alexandria so Smith moody. I met. That's so at, cool. Yeah, I met her at the new school. She was an uh, undergraduate or she was graduating, I think. Uh, she was at Manus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was teaching a master class there. Uh, John Zorn has a thing called the Stone Master Class yep. in the New School. And yeah, uh, I've been to some of the shows. Her and this other trombone player, like I became really close with, in a sense, that working together, like collaborating mm-hmm. quite often after that. And I called her up and I asked her to play on it, and she was like da- totally down, and she recorded herself. She was in San Diego. Alexandra did a great job, and I and then uh, yeah. Um, just going back to Mark is like Mark, yeah, obviously like everything he plays is like, you know, a melody. It's like almost like he rewrites the song with mm-hmm. his solos, you know? And I knew that. And I kind of like need that, mm-hmm. you know? So my stuff is very simple. Almost doesn't have a melody. A lot of stuff comes from the bass, yes. you know, the counterparts with the bass. And, uh, so I'm very lucky to have this stuff. Um, Alexandria and then, um, Nadeski played, you know, on Geek Love. I was with him. We did that because he was working on a little bit of a soundtrack for some documentary. And then when I was there, actually, he had me play bass on this documentary. Oh, nice. Drums. He had me play bass because he saw that I was playing bass. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, we need some bass. We want you to play bass. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, sure? that was fun. And awesome. then he played, you know, he just found this sound on this, like, um, Mellotron organ. Like, it's just incredibly perfect. Um... Jen Liu is, is a new friend. I met her through John Modesti, actually. John and I had a gig, a duo gig in Queens, and then uh, she came to the show, and we ended up kind of hanging out. And then I, you know, uh, asked her to to join me on some ensemble stuff because uh, I had heard she was actually in the closet musician that, like, was really talented but just shy. And in a sense, she's not really shy, but she's all, but with music she is, because I think she was classically trained and she's she like scarred from the whole classical world, uh, which is understandable. I am too, my dad being a classical musician, but um, she's great. She's very talented. She plays guitar, she plays electric harp, and I had her play electric harp in that, on that last track. Um, yeah, Martin Dosh was visiting Martin's from Minneapolis. Martin is a great, like, all over musician, yeah. a drummer, keyboard player. And so he just did some electronic. He had a little bit of electronic stuff, the Montauk guy. So, yeah. you know, those guests really added something special. And I, and I, you know, it was just a great collaborative experience. And, and a great uh, collaborative piece of art. It's awesome. It's really guilty. is really, really special. I'm glad to speak about it here. Um, kind of a general question. Um, I know you do a lot of work in teaching uh, and benefits for the Creative Music Studio Workshop. I don't know much about that workshop. Can you uh, tell us a little bit? Oh, thank you. Yeah, Creative yeah. Music uh, Studio is a foundation. Yeah. Creative Music Studio is a foundation that was started around 70, 1971 with Carl Berger, his wife, Ingrid Sertso, two jazz musicians from Germany <coughs> who used to play with Don Cherry and they were very close with Ornette Coleman as well. Yep. And Ornette Coleman kind of along with them formed this nonprofit. But really Carl and Ingrid were the ones who really took it upstate to Woodstock and settled up there and had this retreat um, year-round really uh, and there were already great musicians that lived up there like Jackie Jeanette and um, Pat Matheny and Dave Holland and uh, 
Carla Bley and you know and all these other musicians like Bob Moses and, and the Art Ensemble of Chicago and Anthony Braxton and uh, the list goes on and on and on and they're it's a legendary uh, foundation where they bring they invite people from all backgrounds of music and levels of music it's not like it's not like you it's not a linear way of learning it's just like a an experiential thing where you might have you often have a guiding artist who's just working on their music with you uh or their concept with you and it's like very usually kind of almost revolutionary in the sense that like it's every every artist that comes in imagine working with anthony braxton anthony braxton sometimes can give you a graphic score uh, other times he'll give you a very, he'll conduct you through some things and, you know, it's a lot of improv- improvisation. You learn to improvise and, you know, John, John Cage, Buckminster Fuller, uh, Gil Evans were on the board, on the advisory board at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of having a resurgence now. I'm now the, awesome. I'm actually the, the CEO, whatever president, nice. uh, executive director. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm just, you know, really excited to, to, um, get more people involved, which we have been, and, uh, we're just about to launch this, um, online, uh, experience, which will be called creativemusicworkshop.com. The website is creativemusicstudio.org. No, sorry. Creativemusic.org is the home. Uh, creative music workshop is a brand new beta pro thing where people can go. It's going to be free for a while. Oh, wow. So we're going to be, we're just about to launch it this weekend is our plan. And it's going to be, you'll get to see masterclasses, workshops, people talking about the creative process, exposed to, you'll be able to, uh, get exposure or whatever. I don't know what exposure I don't know. <laughs> to access archival yep. recordings that have never been heard, whether it's Pauline Oliveros or it's Alan Ginsberg performing with the, with the creative music okay. studio orchestra. Um, just a lot of incredibly historic uh, archival material that Columbia University actually gave Creative Music Studio a grant to um, digitize everything. Amazing. So okay. we're going to have, you know, we'll have that available. That's so cool. I'm glad I asked on the cusp of that. That's cool. Congrats. That's going to be really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Out of left field a little bit, I couldn't make it to um, Joe's Pub for this performance, but you did, um, did a... a a performance where you're talking about your life in downtown New York in the eighties. Um, and I know you, you know, you had music accompaniment. Is that, um, is that something that, that could happen again or can be found anywhere? I was really interested in that. Yeah, that, that, well, that's been an ongoing process. Originally I had this idea because I love the filmmaking, uh, process and sort of like mm-hmm. the first time I really thought about a narrative because I like experimental filmmaking just as much as I like a, a narrative film. Uh, I'm not so much a narrative. I'm more anti-narrative or like multiple narrative mm-hmm. guy. So I like films like a lot, like in a Robert Altman or something. Yep. So in a sense, this was a story about a community of artists in the East Village uh, based on real life, my life, being part of this, you know, and discovering myself within this theme of very unique individuals that were experimental and just very colorful and was a blend of, you know, a lot of different people. It might be the New Yorkian poet scene mm-hmm. mixed in with the Black Rock Coalition, mixed in with, you know, uh, classical avant-garde, you know, experimentation mixed in with jazz and everything else. 
and which is very much like you know what Creative Music Studio really represents in mm-hmm. a sense. But this is a real community and existed and still does in some sense. You know, John Zorn is kind of like one of the one of our you know yeah. <laughs> keepers keepers of the you know of the torch, the mother yeah. goose. Definitely. <laughs> um, so I was really inspired by that a lot, and I have really incredible memories. So like I was basically just like jotting all these notes down, and then it turned into sort of a story and then into a screenplay with a friend of mine, Mark Ferguson, who, who is a young, uh, uh, writer. Um, and he's followed me on my career. He's 20 years younger and he knows a lot about me. And I read a book he wrote called, uh, Lost Boys Symphony. Mm-hmm. And the way he wrote that, I thought was a kind of a time travel sense of time travel, but the idea that he could write in a multiple narrative way was like, that led to, uh, trying to get the the movie made or trying to get it funded, trying to make, create, you know, get funded to do produce scenes. And it just didn't get off the ground so hard. Uh, and so I ended up working with a theater group, uh, letter of Mark, uh, theater, uh, group in, uh, Gowanus. And they, they started there into improvising as well. They have a system of like conducted improvisation, that I met them at an event that I was conducting mm-hmm. as well. And they, I, I watched them do it with actors and I thought this is great. So we ended up going to Joe's pub and I actually invited them to do that. And I was invited by a couple of people along with Bernard Purdy to kind of present, you know, a, a few scenes, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, that is, that was something that was going to turn into a theater piece. We were kind of like going for, something in the next year or two and I don't I'm not really sure it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna work out um now because I think the theater group is kind of really affected by this yeah. pandemic but in the sense they are kind of like developing some other things that are related to this story uh and so I'm kind of like just waiting to see if if I can if I can kind of realize it again in another way I will you know yeah Cool. No, I was just, I was so curious what was happening. I was a little, I was bummed I couldn't get down there, but, um, all right, cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really, really thrilled to be able to talk about this album, learn more about it. I've, I've been a fan for a long time. So, uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all your art and your work. I, I really appreciate you, um, having this conversation with me. Oh, thank you so much. I'm just a pleasure for me. Here it is, the trailer for one of the many new podcast offerings from Osiris. This one called Past, Present, Future Live. Welcome to Past, Present, Future Live, a new podcast from Osiris Media. I'm RJB. We created Past, Present, Future Live to help us understand the artists behind the music and art that we love. It's the story of an artist's musical journey told in four parts. From the early days, 
Rubber Soul. Led Zeppelin 3. The Alley Cat by Bent Fabric. Nowhere Man. My brother had a band and like girls would come over. Da da dee, da da da. I was like, what? The Meters. The Kingston Trio. Bands that have the badass drummers. Man, that's the coolest thing ever. Cream and The Who. The Beatles became mine. Black Sabbath and Leonard Cohen. My parents could never possibly understand them. To personal and professional breakthroughs. I didn't know how to make a good distorted guitar sound. Hey, man, you guys want to come in and, like, check out Soundcheck? It was kind of like a middle finger to the cooler-than-now grunge movement. I was like, hey, man, we just got the opportunity of a lifetime. Starting at the Knitting Factory, playing for, like, 50 people, not even. And we just felt like, you know what, let's start our own club. To what's pushing them toward the future. Things are changing, you know. It makes sense for me to, like, just be me now. Sometimes you hear stuff that really sounds so good, you, like, want to bite into it. Ten years ago, it was like, what the hell is this? I want to create something every day. That is the thing that gives me a reason to keep waking up. Each episode closes with an exclusive live performance from our guest, inspiring us to discover their catalog through a deeper and more personal connection. I'm really excited to be bringing you these interviews every week. Our first episode featuring Eric Krasno will be released on Tuesday, June 2nd. Subscribe now via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.